Hey there, this is Meg. I'm your host, and you are listening to Mental Status, a podcast about burnout for people in the mental health profession. Quick disclaimer, because you know that stuff is important these days. Uh, Mental Status is a podcast about burnout in the mental health field. It's for entertainment and educational purposes only. This is not therapy, and this is not clinical supervision. There are no CEUs associated with this podcast. Enjoy it and share it as you will. And if you're in a space where you're needing deeper support, please seek out therapy or supervision for yourself from somebody who is qualified to provide the services for you. Okay, here we go. Hey everyone, it's me. Um, I'm here for a solo episode today. Uh, and with a specific uh, purpose in mind, which is coming to talk to you all about um, sort of a new iteration of of the the podcast, I guess. I don't know if I'd call it a new iteration or just like a new aspect of it. Um, something that I have recently um, begun work on, which is in service of uh, the larger mission of this podcast in general, which is to create community and to reduce some of the isolation that is associated with burnout. Um, So I just wanted to talk with you all a little bit about that new part of the initiative today and talk a little bit about um, my hopes for it as well as why I've created it. So to kind of get back to the basics of why I started this podcast in the first place, um, in large part, it was because I felt like I needed a lot of community around me um, and a way to normalize my own experience of being burnt out in the mental health field. Uh, Because, I mean, I don't know about the rest of you, but it... It was a surprise to me when I started to burn out and it was frustrating and it felt a lot of the time like I was doing something wrong Um, from the very first job that I had, um, even at times up to this day today, although I will say my burnout is way better managed and much lower than it has been in the past. um, There's been a lot of ups and downs in these early years of my career as a therapist And a lot of the burnout seemed to be focused around, like, not the fact that my self-care was shitty, although it did get shitty at several points because I was so focused on my work that it felt like I didn't have an appropriate amount of time or energy or resources available to me to engage in self-care in the way that I needed to. Um, I've talked with a lot of people on this show about how large parts of that are due to some of the expectations that are placed on our shoulders as mental health workers, particularly for those of us who are early in our careers. We are trying to earn um, hours for our licensure. We're trying to, you know, get our independent license if that is the path that we're on. Um, You know, there's a lot of us who work at the bachelor's level who are working as skills workers um, and in other areas of mental health that don't necessarily require a license, but do require a lot of skill um, and a lot of, you know, a a lot of um, time invested in the process. And so for me, a, a big part of what created a lot of burnout and made it very difficult for me to feel settled in my career and to feel like I was making good progress was like 
a lot of the expectation uh, placed on my shoulders and the shoulders of my colleagues when it came to, um, you know, the billable units or productivity hours or, you know, whatever you want to call it, um, that were set by the organizations that I was working within. And this is all to say, like, I do understand that there is, there's a threshold for businesses at which point it no longer becomes profitable for them and they cannot sustain their business if everybody falls below that point. So I'm not saying, and I never have been saying that businesses should just not have any type of expectation whatsoever and that people should be able to, you know, fly by the seat of their pants and just, you know, blah, blah, blah. Okay. I just, I want to get that out of the way because I, (laughs) as I guess as radical as I can feel sometimes in my views, I also understand very deeply that there are certain ways that all of this shit works, even if I don't agree with it. Um, so all that to say, you know, a a big part of why I started this show is because it felt isolating to feel like there were these expectations placed on me that, you know, by all accounts, I would look around at the people doing similar work and would say to myself, you know, like they, they look like they're doing okay. They're managing it. They're getting shit done. They seem to be really good at their jobs. They're not burnt out. Um, or at least it doesn't seem like they're burned out, which in reality, like I learned later on that many, many people that I've worked with have been feeling a similar way, but have felt hesitant, um, or unable to voice that. So it felt isolating. It felt frustrating. I didn't quite know where to go. Um, I had been in certain situations before where, you know, a clinical supervisor was also my direct boss. Uh, the person who was in charge of making sure that I was meeting expectations uh, for productivity hours. And so it felt really difficult for me to approach the person who, as a pre-licensed professional, had the dual role of trying to develop me clinically and support me in my development, while also making sure that I was helping the bottom line of the company. Um, And that's not something that I really understood to be a dual relationship until much later on um, when it became apparent to me that I was holding back about talking about clinical concerns and, you know, my development as a clinician with a supervisor because they were in a position of power over me and because they were literally writing my checks. Um, So I started the show with the idea of building community. And so far, the response has been actually really amazing. Um, I have connected with a lot of really cool people, both the people who I've interviewed on the show, and also just people out in the social sphere, who, um, who feel the same way and have felt the same way and who've reached out to me through Instagram, through email, um, and other means. And it's been it's been invigorating to be connected with people in that way where I have really felt a reduction in my sense of isolation. And um, it's brought a lot of really interesting and cool people into my life who, honestly, I probably would not have been connected with otherwise. Uh, People across the United States, uh, some people who are outside of the United States. Um, I have listeners in different countries, which is super cool to me. Um, I have people who 
you know, they're on the opposite side of the country as me. And yet I've felt a connection with those people. But I've also noticed that in just having a podcast, while I've been able to have really cool conversations with people and have interviews that have you know, helped me feel more invigorated for the work, um, there's still some aspect of it that has felt lacking for me, uh, for lack of a better term, I guess. It's just, it still felt like something has not been there that I've wanted. So I recently... Um, started, I don't know, it's kind of weird to me to think about like the social media sphere as being like a brand or a part of me or what, whatever it might be. But, you know, that all to say, I recently started a new page on Instagram. It's called the anti-work therapist. Um, and if you've been following me on Instagram, you'll probably recognize this and be familiar with that because uh, I've been talking about it a little more frequently. Um, in the past week or so. And the idea behind the anti-work therapist is it's expanding on the work that I've been doing in the mental status podcast sphere, right? So this podcast specifically has been about burnout um, and talking about that with people and getting their stories and creating community around that. Um, And as I've had those conversations, it has always pointed to the larger conversation around the types of work that therapists and healthcare workers and psychologists and and psychiatrists are expected to do, you know, like the, the type of things that either within the profession we place on ourselves as an expectation or, you know, societally, the expectations that have been placed on us as workers, um, from everything, from like how often we think we should be seeing people, how much people think we should be charging or how much we think we should be charging, um, feeling a lot of guilt around charging what seems like too much, even though for a lot of people, you know, what they charge does not support a sustainable uh, career path for them. Um, but there's a lot of internal and external pressure to to not go beyond a certain dollar amount or what what have you, right? So there's financial pressure. There is pressure around when we think we should be available. So a lot of us feel compelled to work nights and weekends um, and overextend ourselves uh, because, you know, there there are a lot of people who need help right now, and that that's no secret. Um, and so we, as a profession have determined that, you know, to meet those needs, we need to forego some of our own. Um, And a lot of the time that is more prevalent in places like community mental health and nonprofits, um, where the profit margin is, you know, understandably, it's a little bit slimmer than somebody who works in private practice. Uh, But the effect of it is, it's produced a a large portion of the mental health workforce that is exhausted. Um, a large portion of the workforce is, if not already burned out, they are well on their way to being burned out. Um, they're experiencing a lot of the same, a lot of the same concerns and challenges and issues as the people they're working with, right? So financial stress not having enough time in the day because of how much the work demands of them, not being able to spend time with family or children, um, not feeling like they have enough time to attend to their physical health needs 
or pay attention to, um, you know, somatic signs and symptoms that are, are popping up as a result of the stress that they're under. So in reality, like in, in a lot of ways, in a lot of places, and this is not relegated just to the realm of CMH and nonprofit, like I hear of private practice clinicians struggling with this as well. Um, we're all very spread thin and we're all very aware of the fact that the profession as a whole has been kind of like undervalued. Um, it has been put into a box of, um, you know, I don't want to say like across the board, but there's a lot of ideas about mental health workers being martyrs to the cause or self-sacrificing for the betterment of the people that they work with. And, you know, as, as I've explored on this show, and if you've been listening for a while, you've probably come to understand and probably already knew before this show even came out that overextension of ourselves as clinicians and self-sacrifice and, you know, even going so far as being a martyr, it doesn't help our clients do better. It doesn't help us do better. It doesn't give us the space to be curious in our clinical work. It doesn't allow us the space to really develop ourselves um, and the skills that we have within the clinical work if we are constantly stretched thin. And it also doesn't allow us a ton of space to explore what it means to be a person outside of the world of therapy. Um, I've talked with a lot of people who really feel like therapist is their primary identity. It is who they are. And while that's not necessarily a bad thing, I think at times it can create this sensation of like, if I'm not constantly engaging in this part of my identity, what do I have? You know, I, I've maybe I've lost other parts of my life, like the the artistic part of me or the musical part of me or the scientific part of me that likes to explore and like take things apart and put them back together. Those parts start to fall away when we pour so much focus and energy and time and effort into the identity of therapists. And, th- and that's something that like, at least for myself, and maybe for a lot of you who are listening, that's something that was almost encouraged during uh, graduate school, right? Like we, we have self as therapist um, sorts of trainings and ways of developing our thinking. Um, we're taught, you know, with, with good reason, right? We're taught to be aware of the fact that as a therapist, we're entering into a, a space where people will see us as such. Um, people will see us as a therapist and may not necessarily have a, a, a broader picture of us as also being humans who struggle in our relationships and who have self-doubts and insecurities. Um, you know, the, the blank slate has been promoted a lot. The idea that um, once you become a therapist, like all spheres of your life have to be representative of that. It can create this sensation of like never being able to turn that off and always needing to be the one who is effectively managing communication and always talking about boundaries and um, always doing the self check, right? Like, am I am I staying completely within my realm and and always being super aware and um, 
compassionate towards the people in my life. Now, when I'm talking about this, you may find yourself recoiling a little bit um, because what, what would it mean for us to be able to accept that, you know, those are really important parts of developing as a clinician, being able to gain awareness of who we are in general in relation to other people, um, being able to understand and de- like develop our understanding of boundaries and emotions and processing things. But I think a lot of the time, like we are taught and encouraged to make that a part of every aspect of our lives. And so we feel very constrained in our ability to um, take a day where we're not the therapist, where we're not engaging in this deep thought work and self-checking, where we're allowed to feel how we fucking feel about things, where we can talk about stuff that feels unfair, even if our logical mind understands all the complexities behind a situation. So we've, in some ways, we've taken away our own ability to engage with the world in the way that we're encouraging our clients to, which is engage with it in a way that is authentic to you. Be aware of how you're feeling. Be aware of how what you do, you know, impacts the people around you, but also like allow yourself to be and accept who you are as a person. Um, So all this is to say, like, I myself over the years have kind of done a pendulum swing where I have really super identified with the therapist as self and the self as therapist, you know, a paradigm where I'm like, this is completely who I am. I am the therapist Um, in all aspects of my life. I aim to incorporate the things that I do in work into my, you know, my day-to-day life, not necessarily a bad thing, but it got to a point where I didn't feel like I could just be who I was. And so when I started to experience burnout and frustration and a sense of disillusionment with the field, that at least initially, and, you know, over the course of my time in the field, it's been a little destabilizing, Because what does it mean for me, somebody who has really identified as being the therapist, like from the second I walked into, or I guess I showed up virtually for my graduate program, from the moment that I started that, like I've identified as I'm a therapist. This is what I am. This is how I act in the world. This is how I'm going to engage with the world and show myself to the world is as a therapist. When I started to burn out, I was like, am I? Do I want to be? Is this who I am? Like this buttoned up version um, of someone who doesn't allow herself to experience some of the dark shadowy emotions and to have um, more like impulsive reactions to things. And if I do like to judge myself for it, it just, it created a lot of um, instability in my image uh, of myself. So this new venture that I've created, (laughs) uh, which it's kind of funny because obviously like, I don't know, it's called the anti-work therapist with the idea being, you know, wanting to create a space where people who work in the mental health field can start to 
also identify with the other parts of themselves that are not the therapist or mental health worker part of themselves, where they can start to separate their parts of parts of their identity and engage fully with all of them. You know, so it's not to say that you can't still have a strong identity within the mental health field or that you shouldn't be, you know, having part of your identity be that of a therapist. Um, But it's more promoting the idea that we are like, we're super complex, um, funky, weirdo people who have a lot of history, um, who have different interests, hopefully, or who want to develop different interests and different parts of themselves, um, and who want to explore other ways of being in the world that don't always have to be Um, within the framework of being a therapist. So part of this initiative is, I mean, it's, it's a page on Instagram, but part of what I'm doing as well is developing a space called the Anti-Work Therapist Collective, um, which is really, it's really just an extension of this idea of creating community um, and having a space where people can show up for each other. Um, and be in community with one another and support each other. So the idea behind this space is uh, there's a few things that I want to put into it and what I hope for it as it develops over the next year. Um, First and foremost, a place of community. Um, You know, and what do I mean by that, right? Like being on Instagram or being on Facebook or these other large social media platforms, it can feel easy to get lost in the conversation. There doesn't really feel like there's a lot of consistency between conversations. Um, A lot of conversations can feel kind of siloed, right? Like you have um, comment sections within Facebook or Instagram. And then once that post is gone, it like it leaves your brain. Um, You can have you know, direct messages, but it's, it's asynchronous and it's not always consistent in creating a feeling of unity with other people. So with the Anti-Work Therapist Collective, a big part of what I hope it will be able to do is provide its own contained space where people who are involved are excited to come in you know it's not it's not intended to be like an every single day you check in type of thing but like once or twice a week to come into the space um, and see what people are talking about and become involved in those conversations and to create to create topics of discussion to create questions for people to chew on to share things that have to do with um, anti-work philosophy or you know labor, labor rights, you know, stuff like that. Um, and it's, it's a self-contained space, um, that can sort of reduce the distraction of the social media sphere. So that's a part of it. Um, another part of what I'm hoping to be able to do is create a space of learning, um, that goes more in depth beyond what you might get on Instagram or Facebook. Um, you know, so creating things like courses that people can take. And I mean, I'm hoping that I'm not the only one who wants to create the learning spaces as well. Uh, Obviously, to get things started, I'll be creating some of those learning opportunities. And I'm hoping that there will be other people who are interested in contributing 
to the learning space. So other people who want to create courses, whether it's a short free thing, has a couple of modules, you just want to get it out there, or if it's more expansive and in depth to a point where, you know, you'd want to be able to, um, charge people to take that course, uh, because the information contained in there will help them be, um, a better, a better version of themselves or really help broaden their understanding of anti-work, um, and the philosophies contained therein. Um, so that's the second part, right? Like we've got community where people will show up for each other, Uh, We have learning spaces where people will be able to take courses, create courses, engage with each other in those courses, and really create this environment where we're continually learning. Um, And then another part of that too is, this is probably a little bit further down the road, um, but creating a more intensive sort of like cohort community that is focused on deepening our understanding that goes beyond like the framework of a self-paced course. Um, so it would be more similar to like a group, a group of people who have decided that they want to get together, uh, to do intensive learning together, um, either led by myself, or if there are folks out there who really want to be able to lead a cohort or lead, um, like a three week, four week, uh, intensive learning, uh, program, you know, that's something that I want to be able to open up in this space as well. So this is all to say, um, it's, (laughs) I have big dreams. Um, I often find it difficult to sort of pull myself back from the dreams, but I'm also opening myself to the idea that, you know, this is a space that I've been wanting, at least for myself. And at least in the week that I've been you know, posting on the anti-work therapist page and talking to people about it, I've already gotten like a good number of people who have shown interest in joining this space and creating community with people here. So this is something that I'm excited about. Um, It's also something that I know for a fact I cannot and do not want to do alone. I can't create all of the community just by myself. I can't create all of the conversations just by myself. I can't provide all of the the support to everyone everywhere. Um, And I I wouldn't want to, right? Because my perspective on this stuff is still limited very much by my own personal experiences and the identities that I have and the ways that I have um, walked through this world and, and what I've learned along the way. So even though I'm creating this space, um, it's not mine. It's, at least I'm hoping it's not just mine. I think it would be pretty boring if I were the only one creating um, conversation and learning opportunities within the space. It just, it would get old. Um, And to be quite honest, like I don't have, (laughs) I don't have the mental capacity or the time or the energy to create all of that. so it's not just mine. I want it to be ours. And that's for everybody listening. Like, I really want this space to be ours. I want it to be a space that, like, even if you only check in once a week, it's something that brings a lot of value to you, uh, both in the work that you're doing as a mental health clinician or a psychiatrist, a skills worker, social worker, whatever. I want it to bring value. 
I also want it to be a place where you feel um, held and supported by the people who are involved. Um, and, you know, I, I want it to be a space where everybody feels responsible for their own growth and who are wanting to give to the community as much as they're taking, if not more than they're taking, right? Like it, it's a place to engage and I can't do that alone. It wouldn't be a community if it was just me. So with all of that said, this is my invitation to anybody who finds themselves in a similar place of wanting to explore what it might look like to engage with all of the other aspects of their identity outside of being a therapist. This is your invitation to join the Anti-Work Therapist Collective. Um, joining this collective doesn't necessarily mean that you hate working and you never want to work again. Like, I, that's not that's not the slant that I'm taking with this. It's more of the idea of we as mental health workers and helpers, those are parts of our identities, but that's not all that we are. Um, we are whole complex people who have our own inner worlds and different identities and experiences. Um, and we can't be solely defined by the work that we do. Um, so if that's something that sounds appealing to you and you're curious, um, just a little bit of information for you to kind of think through, uh, if this is a space that you want to enter. Um, so as I'm recording this, it is Friday, December the 3rd. Um, I'm anticipating that this community is going to go live. Like the, the virtual doors are going to open sometime in mid December. Um, and so that's when people will have the opportunity to start signing up for it and engaging with the space in there. Um, it will be hosted off of Facebook and off of Instagram. It's not going to be in that space. Uh, it's going to be hosted on a platform called Mighty Networks. Um, I'm still learning the platform, but it seems really cool. Um, it seems like a space that allows for um, a little bit more focused interaction with people, um, especially if you're, you know, taking one of the courses in there, there is a community aspect to that where you can talk with other people who are taking the course and talk about the materials within it. Um, so it's going to be on Mighty Networks. Mighty Networks is not free to use. Um, it's not free to run a network on there. Um, but the benefit of being in that space where we're paying for it is we get to have greater control over the members, right? Like, so in a place like Facebook and Instagram, those companies own the audience. Um, they own the interactions, they own the data. Um, if you've been paying attention to the news recently, like it's no secret that Facebook, which owns Instagram and a lot of other things like their primary focus is um, the generation of profit by using the data that they get from these platforms. So to be on Mighty Networks in a space where we are paying on a monthly basis to have that space, it gives us more control over the conversations and it's more like it's just ours. Um, so to support that, there will be a cost associated with joining the anti-work therapist collective. Um, I want it to still be accessible for people um, across different income levels. Um, so it, it will cost $10 a month uh, for the first 20 people 
who join the network. And that is on a monthly basis. Um, that's what it stays as long as you stay on at that level and you don't cancel the membership, like it'll be $10 a month for you. And then after that point, after we get to 20 people, um, the price to join will be $25 a month. And that'll stay the same as well. So if you join at the $25 a month range, um, that is what it is going to be for you. And the primary purpose behind that is to support the network and to support the work and to make sure that we can maintain that platform. Um, it's also just, it's an investment. Um, I want to make sure that the people who are joining the space have, they have a vested interest in making sure that it flourishes. Um, I don't want the cost to be so, uh, so large, you know, that it's not accessible to people, but I do want to create a space where there's an understanding that we're all invested in making the space the best that it can be. Um, so yeah, the, those are the basics behind it. It's opening mid-December uh, 2021. Uh, first 20 people are able to get membership for $10 a month. For context, that's about the price of one single client session on average in private practice for an entire year. So $120 a year is approximately what, you know, the average private pay therapist would charge. Um, and when you join, you know, you, you get the added benefit of being able to advocate for better pay for yourself, understanding what that might look like, understanding how to um, set better boundaries within your work, all that good stuff. Um, and so the investment that you make would definitely be returned um, if you engage in the way that benefits you. Um, obviously, I, I can't guarantee a return on the investment, but I do find that people who who do invest and who do engage and who do the work on themselves um, and their business and their identities and everything that's included, um, the people who do the work tend to see the greatest outcomes for themselves. Um, yeah, so that's that's what I want to say about the space. I'm excited about it. I'm scared of it. I don't know what it's going to be. I feel a lot of pressure to like make it great and make it be something big, but I know that it's not really entirely about me. Um, I'm creating the space and I'm, I'm opening it up for people and I'm making it available, but it, you know, like I said, it's not mine. Um, it is our space to, to create in the way that we all need to create it. So if that sounds good to you, um, I'll just have you know that I have put a link into the show notes for this episode. Um, that link will take you to an interest form. Um, if you're listening to this after December of 2021, um, that, that link will still be available. Um, and you'll just be able to, you know, get an invite to join the network. Um, links will also be available on like my social media presences on the mental status pod, as well as on the anti-work therapist page. Um, so you'll be able to find ways to join there. Um, if you want more information or you want to talk about this a little bit more, feel free to reach out. Um, I mean, this is, this is a one person show. I am, I am the one <laughs> answering the emails, making the show, um, and producing it. So if you reach out through email or through direct message on social media, just know that, you know, I'll do my best to answer questions 
um, if you have any about joining the network or what to expect from it. Um, yeah, so that's, that's really what I wanted to talk about today. Um, I appreciate each and every one of you who has supported me in the mental status podcast, uh, and this whole venture. Um, it's really meant a lot to me and I really do sincerely hope that I see you in the anti-work therapist collective. All right. Thanks everyone.